Thank you so much, Pastor Lakyong, and welcome back, everyone, to meeting and worshiping God together in the flesh, face to face. And we thank God for His grace and continue to be humble and prayerful about the global situation of COVID 19 and here in Singapore. If you have arrived and just tuned into this, either by live stream and listening to this, we are covering the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And why is that important? Because this is 2020, the start of a new year. No, the start of a new decade. And we thought as we start a new year and start a new decade, it's very important, significant, that we go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and how appropriate as we read this during this crisis. So there is a simple framework to life, a simple framework to life runs along these lines. There are some things that we like, that delights our hearts. And for the things that we like, we'll do it again and again and again. Things that we do not like, the suffering, the pain, that we promise ourselves never again. And so what are some things that we'll do again and again? Having an ice cream, a good ice cream, and you say to yourself, I must have it again. So the, the closest ice cream joint here used to be um, Island Creamery. Then all of a sudden we discovered as we live in the neighborhood, it's gone. So we drove past uh, just last week said, hey, it's moved to a new place. We can go there again. It's, it's like that with wonderful foods. Pastor Jeff just brought, brought us something that we've never eaten. It's this oyster cake, right? Hakka oyster cake. And we all said to him, where did you buy? We must go and buy it again, eat it again. It's like that, whether it's ice cream, whether it's oyster cake, whether it's durian. And that's why when you go for your skiing trip to Hokkaido, you want to go back again to the Hokkaido ski fields. That's why you want to go diving again in Maldives. That's why you want to go to the romance of Italy. Maybe not now. Um, and the foods of Thailand, also not now. And the rides of Disneyland. And it's just again and again. Something that has become so popular, right? It just ended at the end of February is this thing called crash landing. And all those who went, oh, I know you watch it. All those who look at the photo and say, what's that? You didn't watch it. And crash landing, I mean this, it, I mean the, the actor and actress is just eye candy and just watch it again and again and again. Somebody told me, I, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> so can you follow the line of thinking that some things will like to happen again and again because it's delightful? but there are things that we don't like to happen again and again. So we took this off the Sunday Times, this table, at the start of COVID-19. At the time, they just call it the Wuhan coronavirus. I thank God that the World Health Organization changed it from Wuhan so that no one would blame. You know why? I just watched a clip that somebody sent me on Fox TV in America, which is watched by a good number of people, mainly right wing. And the anchor man who is, has a huge platform and a huge audience, uh, at the height of this, is he's saying that China should apologize for this virus and Chinese folks should apologize for this virus. What an irresponsible thing for him to say, don't you think? Nobody invents a virus, it just comes. And this is but a recent listing, and so I'm going to read it on my thing. Let's go to the second row, second line Ebola virus, 1976, 33,000 cases estimated. 13,000 deaths, mortality rate 40%, Ebola virus. Go down about two-thirds of the way, SARS, more familiar to us, 2012, 8,000 around the world cases, 774 uh, deaths, about 9 to 10%. Then look at H1N1 between 2009 and 2010, and that hit 1.6 million people, 
taking 285 uh, with deaths, 285,000. That's 17.4%. So when this broke out, COVID, the mortality rate was 2% and still hovering around that. As you look at this, I don't know what lessons you draw from it. This is going to happen to us again and again and again. And as long as we live outside of God's presence, outside the Garden of Eden, in our fallenness, in our sinfulness, we are going to have this. And it's a dream that we say, never again are we going to do this. No, never are we, again are we going to experience this. But this one may be within our control. World War II that engulfed 80, 90% of the world. Two war theatres, two war arenas in Europe and the Japanese here in Asia and Southeast Asia. An estimated 50 million people died, mainly civilians, more than soldiers died during this war. 50. And this was 1942 to 45, three and a half years of this. Six million Jews died under Hitler. And everywhere you read, you, you go back and check the literature, we say after a war, we say after a national war, we say after a world war, what do we say? Never again. So our macro never again moments is after epidemics, after pandemics, and after wars and world wars. But if we get more real with life, did you notice something about yourself and myself? We also have fights. We have lots of fights in our marriages, in our relationships, in our families. And we say our personal never again moments. That was a really petty fight over dinner, right? That was a really petty fight over the way to teach the children, raise the children, dress the children. That was a really petty fight over where, where to go for holidays. That was a petty fight about where to go for dinner. That was a petty fight about what, what you just said, blurted out during lunch or dinner. But we go again. Why is it we can't stop this? Why is it we can't stop this? And if ever have family or friends who suffer from cancer, inflicted with cancer, we pray and hope that through the treatment, they'll be, they'll be well. But a high percentage of cancers have a way of coming back. And when it comes back, you know that something, some of our never agains never lasts in life. So when you understand that, you understand what we are getting to. We live with quiet desperation. When are we going to kick this habit that keeps threatening my relationship? When am I going to kick this sickness once and for all? I've shared about this lady. I asked her how she was. She was in the final stages of, of cancer, and she said, you really want to know? I'm just so tired of the needles, so tired of the treatment, so tired of hospital, so tired of doctors. I'm just so tired. I wish this would go away. It didn't go away. It came and took her life. When are we going to cure this sinful heart that judges others so generous with self, so, so, so stingy with others, so generous to self but so stingy with others in thought and word and deed? When are we finally going to please God instead of please self destructively? And the answer is never. And how do you know? Because this account of the post-flood is where God himself pronounces never again, but there is also the other side. So new beginnings in the first portion, but then it ends with an old recurring problem that creeps up again and again. So with that backdrop, we can try to understand this book. The story so far, we shared this last week, but because different people tune in, 
And a few unintended blessings, right, through COVID-19. First unintended blessing, I pray and I hope, we pray and hope that you will come to services earlier. Turn to your neighbour and say, come earlier. Why? Because we need to do the precautionary measures, right, to arrive here on time, to start the services on time. Second unintended thing is that we don't need to print too many of the bulletins, hard copy, because we now go for e-bulletins, and that's part of creation care. Third thing is more and more people are giving, right? It's e-giving. I want to encourage you to do e-giving. It's hovering about 70%, right? We hope that after COVID-19, it might push 90. Will we ever get to a day where everybody gives their offering by e-giving? Please take note, please do by e-giving, but please give real money. And don't say I gave virtual money and don't give us bitcoins. The other unintended blessing was this. What was it? That uh, we decided to suspend services, one of the first churches to do so, in just prayerfully weighing up risk, responsibility, risk, responsibility. And then we live stream. And when we live stream, when, when we're de deciding this before that, people are having discussions with their parents who are not Christians and this person wrote about this. I wanted to come to services, but my parents were dead set against it because they heard of the church clusters. And so when you said we we're going to do live stream, it was so good. You know what? I watched the live stream. So did my parents, who are not Christians yet. They sat down. So our live stream have been hitting 4,000 people, 5,000 people, 6,000 people. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And that's my reason for repeating some of this stuff, some of these frameworks, some of these outlines. Didn't I see that last week? Pastor Chris must have no time to prepare. That's why he's repeating things. No, because some people tune in first time and you need a little bit of allowance on your part to say, I've heard this, but let's understand the story. We have pressed reset button by studying Genesis. The beginning of the universe, God made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Then the beginning of mankind in Genesis chapter 2. Men and women made in God's image three things. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And God had said in Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply, increase, fill the earth, and rule the world on my behalf. So three great purposes when God created us. This is how we bear the image of God. But by Genesis 3, instead of listening to the good God who created us and gave us everything to rule over and everything to enjoy and delight, Eve decided to listen to the serpent whisper, that one tree with that one fruit God told you not to eat from, that is the one tree and the one fruit that will make you wise. That is why God is insecure. He's a party pooper. He's the one who's come to spoil your life. When you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. God said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. She ate of it, and spiritual death and physical death became our human experience from that point onwards. Spiritual death is cut out from the presence of God. Physical death is our earthly experience of it. Then the beginning of family sin. What do we know about the first family? Adam's family. Adam's family. Cain killed his brother Abel. If you ever sense sibling rivalry in your hearts, you trace it all the way back to the first family sin. And then he died. By Genesis chapter 6, the whole world is turned against God. God looks at humanity and God is grieved by humanity. He's grieved. And so God brings the flood. 
The only bright spot in all of this is this man whose name is Noah. And Noah has two main meanings, comfort and rest. For the first time, from Genesis 3, there is the first hint there is someone under God's hand who will bring comfort from the thorns and thistles, from the pain of living outside God's presence and bring rest for us. And so, here we arrive at Genesis chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said, where? Can you tell me figuratively? Very important thing. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of men. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. When did you first meet that description of humanity? The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In chapter 6, verse 5, that God saw, God looked, and every inclination, every inclination of our hearts is only evil all the time. We call that total sinfulness, a total depravity. And so notice what has changed and what hasn't changed after the flood. It's the same holy God dealing with sinners, but different response to sinners and sin. In chapter 6, verse 5, God's heart, did you notice, was grief because man's heart was only sinful all the time. But here, the description is the same. Man's heart is evil from his youth. But why is now God not angry, not grieved? And why is He pleased? You need to ask yourself, has God perhaps lowered His standard of holiness, lowered His standard of ethics or morality, lowered His standards of right and wrong, black and white? Has God adjusted His ethics? Or could this be, how many of you parents with young children, parents with teenage kids, trying to change them, trying to teach them, and then after a while they don't change, what do you do? We call it a parent's sigh, a father's sigh. Could this be a divine sigh? I brought the flood, but there's no change in his heart. Oh, sigh. No, friends. Those are not the reasons. It's not a God who has changed in his holiness, lowered his standard, drops his standard of justice. It's the first mention of altar anywhere in the Bible. And highly significant that when Noah came out of the ark, the first thing he did was to put together an altar. And on this altar, he sacrificed the clean animals, some of the clean animals, and it was considered a burnt offering. Later, in God's relationship with his chosen nation, Israel, there will be different types of offerings, thanksgiving offerings, but the burnt offering was, right, perhaps the most important. Because burnt offering actually means it is someone taking the place of the sinner. And so Israel, Israelites personally sinned against God. Israel as a nation sinned against God. But the only way her relationship with God could be maintained was for her to sacrifice the lamb. And so let's say I confess to you that I have sinned in my life big time in the last week. I sinned because I got so disappointed I didn't meet you, example. So you know I sinned, I confess, if that's true. 
So you say, Pastor Chris has sinned, what do we do? Let's go to his house. I know he keeps the dog. Let's kill the dog on his behalf. It's gotten you? Rightly so. Rightly so. Because I sin, I should pay for it. Not my pet dog, not my pet cat, not anything else. This is the standing in between. The concept of atonement. So from this point onwards, it's not as simple, far from the word simplistic. Holy God, sinful people, bring flood, wrath, judgment, wrath, punishment. Judgment, wrath, punishment. God shows us a different way to deal with us. And a different way God can tolerate, God can relate, and God can, can treat us, respond to us, is by this thing called the burnt offering or the atonement. From this point onwards, it is the way the holy God deals with sinful humanity. Someone, something to pay the penalty for me. And because of it, no more curses, no more flood to wipe out all life. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground. And notice here, and all the fish of the sea given in, into your hands, into your hand, they are delivered. So every Tuesday, we have a pastoral meeting, a staff meeting. Then I ask different staff, different pastors, how has the ministry been? So I asked Pastor Jeff, how was prison's ministry last week? I uh, asked uh, different pastors about the youth ministry, how did basic go, children's church, how did it go, uh, things to give thanks to God for, things to, to pray about, to improve, both in the preaching and the ministry, etc. But one among our pastors will always say, whenever I ask him, how was your ministry last week, your group last week? Same, same. Uh. Same, same is our singlish way of saying nothing different. Uh. Same people turn up, same kind of thing. We sang songs, we preached a sermon. Same, same, but different. So look at verse 1 and verse 2. What is same, same and what is different? Verse 1 is same, same as chapter 1. God's creational purpose remained unchanged after the flood. You know why? God set out to bless, bless, bless. The biggest word in Genesis 1 and 2. By Genesis 3, God's word is curse, curse, curse. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the ground. Chapter 4, he cursed Cain. Very important that we get this right. And blessing, blessing. So God blessed Noah and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God's creational purposes carry on. I make a, a side point, but an important one spiritually, personally, pastorally, which tells you that sin may derail God's purposes, sin may detour God's purposes, but sin itself never destroys God's good purpose for you and me. Now, why is that important for you to know? Because sin will not have the last word in your heart. Sin will not have the last word in your relationship. Sin will not have the last word in your marriage. Sin will not have the last word with your children, with your parents. God will have the last word. So take note that God's creational purposes are derailed, detoured, but not destroyed. He carried it on with Noah afterwards. But here is the difference. Same, same, creational patterns, uh, creational purposes carry on. But the difference is the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the, of the earth. So when God created Adam, 
He brought all the animals listed for us in Genesis chapter 2 for Adam to name. And for every animal that came up to Adam, the lion, right, it chewed Adam up. No. For every animal that was brought to Adam, he named them. There was a wonderful, harmonious relationship between ruler and rule, between image of God and creatures that men and women were made to rule over. You find the same pattern at the ark where God brought all the animals, seven of the clean, two of the unclean, seven of the clean, two of the unclean, and brought them to Noah and they should have eaten Noah and his sons up. No, they walked straight into the ark. Glimpses of the, perf the perfect state of relationships. Glimpses of. But after the flood, you get a glimpse. It's no longer this harmonious relationship. It'll be one in which the fear and dread of men will be upon the animals. So the, the only place you can look at animals and look at them and say, so cute, is when you go to a zoo. There is no other place when you go and look at a lion or a tiger, right? And you say it's so cute without the zoo enclosures separating you. So I love going for walks. And in one of my walks, so let's see, how many of you have walked at McRitchie Reservoir? Some of us have. If you walk at McRitchie, what do you have to be mindful of? Many of our reservoirs. You have to be mindful of the troop of monkeys. If it's you one-to-one -one with another monkey, you could win. But if it's a troop of them, <laughs> and you jolly well make sure you don't carry any plastic bags with you, because they could go for that bag, and you could be in trouble. In one of my walks, right, I, I encountered not a troop of monkeys, which I have encountered. I came face-to-face -face with a wild boar. The length of which maybe three chairs of this. I looked at it, it looked at me. I didn't look at the wild boar and say, oh, so cute, oh, beautiful animal. It didn't look at me and say, oh, wow, my ruler. <laughs> Your name is not Adam, but it's Chris. <laughs> Things have gone wrong between us. And I was chicken. I walked out as soon as I could with half my eye always turning back. Is he following me? Because I just read reports of how wild boars, there have been encounters, right? And how the wild boars with their tasks can be quite, quite violent. Things have gone wrong, friends. Same, same, but different, right? So what do we learn here? Post-flood, we men and women are no longer benevolent rulers, generous, concerned for them, from this point onwards, it seems like God has widened the food source and the food mandate. When God first created us, He gave us plants, pleasing to the eye and good for food. But by the post-flood, He now gives us this. Could it be, as some people suggest, propose, that it was after the flood and not enough vegetation had grown for Adam and his sons to eat? But this, I think, is not just for his sons immediately, but goes on. And so is this a license to survive? If it's a license to survive post-flood, then it shows the generosity and the grace of God. Knowing that life outside His presence and life outside the, the Garden of Eden will indeed be through sweat and tears. It won't be like that. It won't be easy to act out a living. But we must get this right. God says in verse 4, You shall not eat flesh with what? with its life. What does flesh with its life mean? That is its blood. 
So all those who have up to this point loved steak rare, repent. I've always loved my steak, well done, because I'm more Christian than you. Of course not. I don't know what the application in there is in terms of steak. But here is the true application. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from men, from his fellow men, I will require a reckoning. See the repetition? I will call for an accounting of how you treat animals, of how animals treat you. If an animal kills you, I'll call an accounting from the animal. If you take the life of a man, I will call an accounting for you. And what's so important, here is the primacy of men and women. Verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made men in his own image. And the first one who took the life of another was Cain taking the life of his brother Abel. And when God confronted him, what did, Abel, what did Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? What do you think was God's expectation? You bet. You were meant to be your brother's keeper. You were meant to do this. And so, you shall not eat. License for food should not be equated to license for reckless abuse. The reckless abuse of life, both animal and of men, because animal and human life created by God is precious. But more precious than anything else is men and women made in God's image. And blood is a symbol of that sanctity, a symbol of that sacredness, a symbol of that preciousness, blood. And so what does that mean for you and me? Plenty of things here. What is it that's happening? In chapter 9 verse 1 and chapter 9 verse 7, God says to Noah and his sons, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply on it. So God wants Noah and his sons, after the flood that wiped out every other thing, every other living thing, God actually wants life to blossom, life to flourish, for, for them to multiply, fill the earth and rule the earth on his behalf. But for that to happen post-flood, post-flood recorded for us here in Genesis 9, God seems to put into place a system of check and balances so that His purpose to multiply, fill the earth will still carry on. And the system of checks and balances is God will demand accountability for life on earth. That's how He'll put the checks and balances. And God will promise never to bring a flood again. And that's why the population will keep growing and growing. So in the 1800s, the 1900s, sociologists and futurologists, sociologists, they study society, futurologists, they postulate the future based on some scientific data. And in the 1900s, they thought that the maximum population the world could sustain was maybe one billion. And guess what? China was already racing ahead with 500 million, 700 million. Today, we are at 6 billion, going on 7, 7 going on 8. And again, our sociologists and our futurologists will keep asking the questions legitimately, how much, how many people can the world sustain? The biblical answer is, as long as two things go on, one, we are held accountable for each other's life, and God will never wipe us out again by a flood. That is the biblical reason why God's creational mandate carries on. We multiply, we fill the earth and rule it 
no matter how fallen, no matter how flawed. That doesn't mean wanton, reckless, irresponsible lack of care for creation. That's very important. From this is drawn the first principle of talion, that God will give to Israel. And Jesus will quote. And what is the principle or the law of talion? The principle or law of talion is our, our legal system, the, which is built from the British legal system, inherited from them, is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for life. We call it proportional retribution. Proportional retribution. But for you to impose the death penalty, there has to be based on eyewitness and proof beyond reasonable doubt. And so what is disproportional retribution? Disproportional retribution you saw in the descendant of Cain, Lamech the seven descendants of Adam through Cain's line, recorded in Genesis 4. I, Lamech, he says, he boasts, I killed a man for injuring me. I killed a man for doing what? So modern-day version, example, you bump into somebody at MRT station, you accidentally step on his toe, then he pulls out a dagger and stabs your heart. What do you call that? Totally disproportionate. I didn't intend to hurt you. If I hurt you, a toe for a toe, a thumb for a thumb, an eye for an eye. But when we live without God, we are very prone to disproportionate response. And day by day in your living and my living, please take note in our fallenness and our sinfulness, in thought and word and deed, the way we relate to each other is usually disproportionate. That's why we always threaten each other. And so, the principle of talion, the sanctity of life, accountability of life. And then it moves on. God's covenant with Noah. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. It gets to the heart, this covenant. And here's the thing to note, because we only have time to summarize this portion. I, God says, will remember my covenant that is between me and you. And please take note, this covenant is not just between me, Noah, God, Noah, and his sons, but every living creature of all flesh, the word all, 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 and every is a huge thing. And the waters shall never become a flood to destroy all flesh again. The first time this phrase was used was in Genesis chapter 1. God remembered Noah after the flood. And can you remember, remember? Can you remember what we tried to explain both in our Bible studies in the sermon last week of the meaning of remember? When God remembers, from this point onwards, every time you read God remembers in the Bible, in the Old Testament, whenever God remembers, He remembers, and then you and me remember, and then usually nothing happens. You and me you remember, and then something bad happens, unforgiveness. When God remembers, something good happens. God remembers, and then He will always intervene to act. He will always intervene to act to save His people whom He made a covenant with, a promise with. 
And you see him acting this way in the next book, Exodus, when they call out to him as a nation, they are being persecuted by Pharaoh, facing possible genocide, and then God remembers the cries of his people. Whenever God remembers, he remembers to act and act to save you. It's very important they remember this. And so why does God have to put a sign on the rainbow to remind himself? Every time he sees the rainbow, God remembers, he remembers. What does he remember? You ask yourself, does God ever forget? Of course, the answer is God never forgets. His CPU is infinitely larger, huger, and more long-lasting than yours and mine put together. He never forgets. So what could be a possible meaning of this? We are now at Genesis 9. Two chapters from now, you're going to read that the whole human race, post-flood, now became so rebellious against God, they built a tower called Babel, or Babel, Babel, that reached to the heavens as a challenge to God, and it grieved God's heart. And then we're going to read further on that Abraham and Lot, his nephew, and Lot is going to live among our people, Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the time we read Sodom and Gomorrah, it is all to each his own. Whatever you like in terms of your sexual preferences, you just choose. And it, again, it grieved God's heart. And I think at every point, same God of holiness, same grief, same propensity to wrath, rightful wrath, to punish. But He doesn't. He never wipes out. He doesn't impose another curse. He never wipes out the human race again. Could that be the meaning that God remembers? And that's why the human race, even as sin multiplies, the grace of God is multiplied. Noah began to be a man of the soul, and he planted a vineyard. He drank out of wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So again, we have to summarize this portion. Up to this point, Noah doesn't speak at all, but from this point, you're going to hear two things from him. The whole focus has been on God pronouncing things on Noah and his sons and the whole of creation. So what is the first picture we get of Noah? He was, he began to be a man of the soul. Soul, you know what soul is? If I gave you a pot of soul, do you know what to do with it? Modern-day Singaporeans, modern-day Malaysians, modern-day urbanites, people who live in city, if we gave each other a Christmas present, just, I gave you a pot of soul, would you know what to do with it besides throw it in the bin? Without soul, there is no life. So from the nutrients of that soul, you put a seed in, and sunlight comes on it, water goes into it, and that springs out plants. Without plants, there are no animals. That's the beginning of the food chain. It tells you that when Noah came out, he knew what to do with soul, and he knew how to till that soil and harvest it. And he went one step further, he planted a vineyard. So Noah is not in survival mode. He is in success mode. He planted a vineyard. So you need to ask, what was his sin? Planting a vineyard? Drinking the wine? Or what? It would seem like his sin was. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, 
laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward to their father who was lying naked. They did not see their father's nakedness. So the countess, Noah got drunk. He was naked. So Ham, the younger one, came in and saw his father's nakedness. Instead of covering him, he went out and told his brothers. His brothers heard the same thing. But they came in, they took out their outer coat. That's the only reason I wore this coat, to show you an illustration. He pulled one corner, right? I pulled one corner, and they walked in backwards and covered their father without looking at him. Because in the ancient world, this was a way of respect. Nakedness was a sign of shame. And so what went wrong here? What went wrong here? New beginnings were all problem. Drunkenness, nakedness, shamefulness, sinfulness. And you ask yourself, wasn't his name, wasn't his name comfort and rest? Wasn't God's favor upon him? Wasn't he described as blameless? He was totally different to his generation, but now he looks the same. I must confess, I did watch, watch Crash Landing. And if you do, if you do watch it, there's always that beautiful eye candy couple, right? Who has fallen in love, but their love you know, cannot, cannot proceed, cannot proceed, cannot proceed, cannot be fulfilled. Because there's that villain, there's that villain. And so, so many episodes, they thought they killed the villain. They Sorry, I spoiled it for you. Huh. But he keeps bouncing back. And after a while, he gets so fed up, kill him off. <laughs> when are we ever going to be sinless? The answer is, it's not through Noah. Because the first thing we find of him, a detailed zoom-in description of him, a CCTV of his life, his personal life and his family life, sin is always in family, familial. Something has gone wrong with father and sons. Something has gone wrong with father and God. When will this ha ever happen? Do you notice? Same man but different before the flood and after the flood. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord before the flood. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Five descriptions of Noah. Found favor, righteous, blameless, walked with God. God. Noah did everything as God commanded. Three times it is repeated. If ever there was a man under instruction, in contrast to his whole generation that didn't live with any instruction, live without government in Hokkien, Bo Ching Hu. If ever there was a man who lived under God, it was Noah in his generation. But by Genesis 9, the dismay, the disappointment strikes your heart. We thought he was the one who would bring comfort and rest. But we find him drunk, we find him naked, we find his son not covering his nakedness, we find family shame. The details here are very hard. What was Ham's wrong? And if Ham did wrong, why was he not cursed, but his son Canaan cursed? We don't have all the answers, but there's something in there about that nakedness that could be a euphemism, you know, euphemism is always a hint of sexual wrongness. And Canaan, twice he said, Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham, the 
the father of Canaan. Why does he have to say that in that record? Because in later Canaanite history, God will tell his people, Israel, as they enter the land, the promised land, the promised land is Canaan, the land of Canaan. You are to dispossess that land of idolatry. You are to cleanse that land of immorality. And what kind of immorality? When you go into that land, you mustn't do as the Canaanites do. What is it the Canaanites do? They do sex of all kinds. Leviticus 18. Do not sleep with... Bum, bum, bum. Do not sleep with... Do not sleep with... All these things they do without a second thought, deciding their own sexuality and sexual preferences, you must not do so. Could there be a hint of that? It's very hard to work out. But we know that Noah was not the one who would bring the comfort, the ultimate comfort and the final rest. It would be his descendant, the Lord Jesus. And descendant, the Lord Jesus, when he came on the scene, recorded for us, as we said last week, behold, the Lamb of God, not the Ark of God, that saves us from God's wrath, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, ultimately, is God's never again answer for us. Never again will you hear the voice of Satan more than my voice and live under him, the father of lies as opposed to me, the father of truth. Never again will sin be the number one thing of your life. Never again. And never again will death be your destiny if you put faith in Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection, His perfect salvation of us on the cross, His perfect atonement of us on our behalf, finally, the atonement finds its perfect fulfillment. So from the ark to the cross, is about a holy God saving undeserving people. From the ark to the cross, God knows how to judge, God knows how to save, God knows the best person for the job, and the best person for the job is actually Jesus and His church. All who put faith in Him will be used as God's instruments for this. And we say, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful promise. So which, what is the best news you've heard? For those who have been infected, at least that is the account that we get here in Singapore, you've been infected with COVID-19, the best news you could hear is the doctor coming up to you after your stay at NCID, after your stay in hospital, is for the doctor, the specialist, the nurse to come up to you and say, Sir, Madam, Uncle, Auntie, you are now a COVID survivor. Go home and hug your wife. Go home and hug your husband. Go home and hug your children. And that's the best news you could hear. Don't you think? You're a COVID-19 survivor. And we have forgotten this, that during SARS, there was a peril to this. He was a doctor, if I don't remember it wrongly, right? Dr. Alex Chow. He knew he had been infected as part of his treatment of patients. And so he checked himself into a hotel and he never saw his wife and children from that point onwards. And then he died. The best thing you could hear is someone coming up to you and say, you are SARS-free, you are COVID-free. If you think that is great, 
the greater good news is that you are a sin survivor and you are a death survivor. And the one who pronounces you sin-free is none other than Jesus Christ. The one who pronounces you death-free, that though we die in the body, as we put faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be raised to eternal life to live with Him. So with this, hear this, you are now loved and so embraced by God, so hugged by God, so cocooned by God, so welcomed by Him. You now go home so loved by Him, so saved by Him thoroughly, and you go and love other people as God's instruments. That is the good news, and that is what we must live, how we must live. Did you listen to Pastor Lak Myung pray as he started the service? Of course, you must say yes. How many did he pray for? How many people passed away? Four funerals. Did you hear the pastor pray last week? There were three funerals. In ARPC, we don't need COVID-19 to remind us of death because we've had, from the start of the year, we do funerals as a ministry to preach the gospel. In one of the funerals that we went to, Pastor Jeff preached, he sang, then I closed in prayer. As we got the family around the casket, the spouse bent over with the flowers. They are the last ones to pay their last respects. And the, husband, the, the spouse goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I've heard that many times of the many, many funerals I've conducted. Sorry for what? If I had time to sit with him, sorry for all the petty quarrels. Sorry for all the things we said, never again. I'll never fight with you again. I'll never do this thing. I'll never judge you again. I'll never... But you know, there's something within our fallen nature that can never keep the never again promises. It's this thing called sin, the cancer of sin that makes the loving of God and the loving of others totally impossible. And all the promises that we make, never again will I do this, never again will I think this, never again will I say this, never happens. But in Christ and through Christ, we can be born again to live no longer with regret, no longer with accusation, no longer. And by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we are now governed, living under new management, that no one controls me more, no one, no one affects me more than Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to ask in ending, if we call upon Jesus and say that Jesus is my Saviour and my Lord, there must be some things in Him, true faith in Him, but the power of the Spirit, we can say never again. Never again will I allow my failed exam at O-levels, at A-levels, at university. Never again will I allow my lower academic performance in contrast to my sibling who always did better than me to affect me so much, to control me so much, to make me feel so disgruntled and so small in life. Never again will I allow my job to affect me and control me, to, to manipulate me so much. My thoughts and my emotions are so career-focused. Never again will I allow a breakup in a relationship to determine how I feel for the rest of my life. In all those things, we are dealing with idolatries. Idolatries that you and me allow the thought and the feeling to keep repeating, repeating. Why should we repeat it? Until it destroys your life in Christ and through Christ, by the presence of His Holy Spirit living in us. 
we can say the never again to some sinful habits of life. Amen? So when the, when the temptation comes, I don't know what you are vulnerable to, what kind of temptation. Whatever you're vulnerable to, whatever I'm vulnerable to when the temptations come, can you confess and confess until purity comes into your heart? You no longer long for that thing. You hunger and thirst for God. There's no more longing for whatever tempts you. Whatever voices speak louder than the voice of God in His Word. Fear, 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 fear. You read God's Word until the fear leaves your heart. You read God's Word aloud. Never again do I want to fear the same people and the same thing. Most of us are just serial sinners and serial fearers. And you ask yourself, is this the new life of faith in Christ Jesus? I say to you, it is not. Through faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit and enlightenment of God's Word, some things don't have to repeat. Never again. If this is not true, then Pastor Jeff could, not ne could never have said never again to drugs. There will come a point in time I'm going to dramatize, never again to pornography. It's out of my life. Or you think, I will never conquer this? Never again will anger control my life. Through Christ, that addiction can be broken. Let's stand, let's pray, and commit ourselves to God. We thank you for all your word records, that you are the real God, dealing with real